0: Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we will be discussing the liturgical year. So let's get started.
1: It's good to be with you, Lindsay, as always, and it's an opportunity once again to to talk about some things that or terms or concepts that we throw around a lot of times so easily. We talk about the liturgical year and until you really step back a bit and, and you grow in an understanding of what the liturgical year is, it, it you lose a sense of the significance of, of actually the work that was done during the Second Council in the 60s. When they really st- looked at the liturgical year and asked, what does this express? What are we trying to do? How are we trying to bring a greater sense of emphasis to the things that are really important? And and how have we lost some of that? Prior to really the liturgical year and and what we know of it today and how it's shaped and formed, it really was, it was just simply that the the year was a repeat. You know, every, know, every, every fifth Sunday of the liturgical year always had the same reading. So literally it was kind of a just a, you know, push, repeat, push, repeat, push, repeat. And, and and it was in some ways easy for clergy because they could have an entire year's set of homilies and they would just repeat them, you, you know. Be- figure
0: everyone forgot what they said the year before. <laughs> exactly,
1: because you, you didn't. You didn't have to sometimes think about it. It was always the same readings, unless you threw in a solemnity or some special day in there that somehow happened to be it. Otherwise, it was just repet- repetition from what took place the year before. Mm-hmm. When With the Second Council and, and really revising the liturgy and, and helping the liturgy not only uh, you know, be, be an act of worship for the, for the community to engage, but even how the, the calendar of liturgy was put together uh, was not simply, let's start with January 1st and go to, you know, December.
0: That'd be so easy.
1: It would be, but it's never that easy.
0: <laughs> never. Is
1: that they put in, you know, the, the three-year cycle, A, B, and C, for the Sunday readings. By far, we are probably the one Christian tradition that covers more of the Bible than any other Christian tradition over over the three-year series because the readings are always different. They might have a similar theme or whatever, but you're pulling from, you know, all of the Gospels, the the letters, the the Jewish Testament, you know, scriptures. You're you're just pulling from virtually every single book. And there's no other Christian tradition that does that. And, And you're getting that for an entire cycle. So you have the years of A, B, and C for Sunday. And then for the weekday uh, liturgy, you have cycles one and two. Um, Year one goes with the odd number year, and year two goes with the even number year. Um, And remember, the liturgical year starts in the advent prior to to the new year. And so if you ever want to figure that out, if it's A, B, or C, all you have to do is just add up the numbers of the year, the date. So 2020, that 2 plus 2 basically equals 4. If you have 1 left over, it's A. If you have 2 left over, it's B. And if it is completely divisible by 3, it's year C.
0: Oh, my God! Just a,
1: just a way to... I think
0: I'm just going to Google it <laughs> if I have a question.
1: Oh, it's so much more fun to be able to say, I know what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I can do that if I Google it, too. <laughs> well, yes, but not nearly as fast.
1: <laughs> anyway, so, so even how it was set up, one, it recognized the need that we, as a people of faith, we need to know and to hear and to embrace more and more of the scriptures. That, that we are such a scripturally based people that that was oftentimes lost. And oftentimes you would hear the comment, if you don't know the Bible or anything much about it, you're probably Catholic. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know the Bible or even can quote some of it, then you must be Protestant. Or one of our Christian brothers and sisters in the Protestant traditions is that they wanted to correct some of that and saying we as a people need to hear that. So the liturgical year, as we start to look at that, recognizes that, you know, that that we needed to be able to celebrate, we needed to be able to hear it, we needed to be able to embrace it on a regular uh, basis in our lives. When you look at the liturgical year, it's really in some ways in terms that a lot of times aren't necessarily heard in, in general public, it's chronos versus Kairos. Chronos time is time on a watch? You know, it's it's the quantity. It's it's uh, when something is. You know, it's at four o'clock. It's it's simply you know about quantity, adding up numbers or where the clock is at the time. Kairos is said that that's God time. That's when something happens. And it's, it, it's not necessarily predictable. It's all usually unpredictable. For example, example in the past, maybe not quite so much as in the, in the present, but for example, when a child was born, that was Kairos time. That's up to God and up to the child, mm-hmm. you know, is that you could, you could predict all you wanted, but really when it came down to it, that's Kairos time. It's a significant moment. It happens when it happens. And, and it's not about predicting something with any kind of accuracy. You know, uh, Kronos is, it's something at four o'clock. It means it's a certain point on the watch. So it, it looked at this and saying liturgy is about Kairos time. Liturgy is about when things happen in God time. And as, as always, you know, whenever we start anything these days, particularly with, with uh, looking at liturgy, It's realizing that you always start with Easter, always, is that none of any of the feasts, solemnities, days, weeks, whatever it might be, none of it has any meaning unless you start with Easter. If the Easter event had not taken place, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, all the rest is meaningless. And Paul talks about that. You know, if he has not risen, everything else is foolishness. And and so when it comes to liturgy, you know, uh, you start with Easter, and then that's, in my opinion, kind of a goofy way that they even set that up. But nonetheless, they set it up, is that you start with Easter. That gives everything else meaning, and in many ways determines where everything else kind of lands. So Easter, you start with that, and when is Easter? Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon. Of the vernal equinox. So it's, um, it's looking at that and saying, wow, you know, what in God's name is that even supposed to mean? <laughs> it's realizing that it's, it's one of those movable feasts, depending upon where the sun and the stars and all of those things line up. So as a consequence, Easter can be as early as March 22nd, or it can be as late as April twenty fifth. So I mean you, you have it's a huge stretch mm-hmm. of time. And and you know, when it's really early, like in early in March twenty second, I mean it's almost like you you finish Christmas mm-hmm. and, and you jump into Lent. And, and I remember where Lent can be as early, like February 11th. And, you know, again, depending upon where Easter lands, mm-hmm. now you move from there as far as your Holy Week, Palm Sunday, those kinds of things. But it's all geared toward, um, toward Easter. But that which makes sense, in a sense, when you talk about the liturgical year without the Easter event and celebrating that, that is the pinnacle of, of, of who we are without that. The rest is pretty much meaningless. It, it just it's not significant whatsoever. They, they simply become, you know, one more date on a chronos calendar which says, you know, on this date this happens. And, and then you have days, you know, when it comes with Easter is that you had then you look at Sunday. Sundays are always considered to be a mini Easter. That, that's why even in Lent, you know, um, the question of whether we fast or whatever on a Sunday, because Sundays, no exception, are always considered to be a mini Easter. When they put together the, um, the liturgical year of, of how do we celebrate as a people, you really step back, had to step back and saying, OK, what are those significant moments and times that we really want to emphasize? And obviously, Easter being one, and that is preceded by the season of Lent, which we just had talked about a few weeks ago. And then, you know, Palm Sunday and, and the Tree Tritum and all of that. That's one of those key seasons. Nothing gets in the way of that, you know? Then another one is Christmas. Again, Christmas, though, derives its meaning from Easter, is that Christmas, then... You know, is one of those other key seasons, <coughs> excuse me, where you, you pull out in, in, in the whole year, you pull out a time and saying you have the time of Advent, a time of expectation. Uh, yes, there is some penitential piece in there, but Lent is the penitential time. Then you have Christmas preceded by Advent and you have Christmas Day. Christmas Day is always the 25th. That's always on a specific date. So it's one of those, It's always lands on the day that the 25th is there, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, Easter, which is kind of all over the board sometimes, is that you always have everything leading up then to Christmas, and then you have the Christmas season, followed by some key things like Epiphany, Baptism of the Lord. Um,
0: Holy Family. A
1: Holy Family. Uh, you have the Holy Day, you know, um, Mary, Mother of God, uh, y- you know. So you have these key, key seasons, and then with the key seasons, you, you pick out certain things like I mentioned some of these, these uh, key days on a Sunday. And then you have um, like Holy Family, Epiphany, Baptism, Trinity. Um, those, but also uh, you then have the, what is called ordinary time. Now, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because ordinary means not, you know, doesn't mean insignificant. It means that it's counted time, ordinal time, one, two, three, four, um, as opposed to saying, well, it's just ordinary time. You know, let's get rid of the decorations. Let's get rid of everything. And we don't have to do this. And, we, and say, no, that's not what they mean by that. It's counted time always recognizing that as we are counting, we are always keenly aware of the Easter event, what we celebrate at Christmas, and, and how our lives are somehow to be influenced by all of that every single day of our lives.
0: So um, if, if Easter is the big event that everything is based off of, how come we don't start our liturgical year with Lent? Uh, and I
1: think that has a lot to do with the just the pragmatics of... You go from birth through the life of Jesus. So
0: there is a little bit of yeah. There is time in order. Yes, and
1: yes, there is okay. some. Of, there is some of that chronos time in there. Um, certainly influenced by it all, but it really has to deal with the fact that you know Jesus' time of birth and and you kind of move through that mm-hmm. and recognize similar. If you recall, you know when uh, when they talk, we talked a little bit about why John Paul II um, added the luminous mysteries. And part of it was is that we were missing pieces of Jesus's life. We kind of mm-hmm. jumped from beginning to end, but part of the be- middle was missing. And in this way, in the liturgical year, it keeps some of that in order. And we move through the year, so we kind of start with you know preparing for uh, for for Christmas, and we move through his life, and and then death, resurrection, um, ascension, Pentecost, and then the celebration at the very end of the liturgical year is um, you have the Christ, the King of the universe. Kind of brings it, wraps it all together mm-hmm. and and celebrates in one fell swoop everything that we've been kind of doing before so that then the next Sunday we begin it all over again. And so the in the liturgical year, It it always starts the first Sunday of Advent before the actual change of the year. So we would be celebrating the beginning of the new liturgical year. I believe it's the first Sunday of December this year. I think so. And in order to start, so it would be the year, though, of 2021. So it always starts kind of the month. Got to play
0: with time a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have... The liturgical year, you know, as you move through it again, it's, it's uh, you have various feasts that, seasons, first of all, the big seasons. And then you have various feasts that pull out certain important aspects of the life of Christ, certain tenets of our faith. For example, you know, Ascension, um, Pentecost, um, feast of, of the Immaculate Conception, Feasts of the Assumption, these are our holy days but they pull out key pieces of what we believe as a people of faith. And so the the year not only, you know, kind of marks time in a way it does, but it also pulls out these key moments in in our faith tradition that help us to focus a bit uh, as to, you know, what do we actually believe about Mary, about the apostles, about the life of Jesus, about you know, a tenant of the faith. And so you look at, for example, feasts that, you know, are, are, are movable, for example, that these are key days. These kind of push aside everything else, any saint that might be there, they pretty much push aside the saint. Um, so you have movable, movable feasts, for example, Ash Wednesday, always 40 days before Easter. You have Palm Sunday, you have Good Friday, Trinity. So you, these are, are key things that are always, you know, that are moving around depending upon where Easter and such are. Then you have the immovable feasts that land on a particular day: Annunciation, twenty, the March twenty-fifth. Why is the Annunciation on March 25th?
0: Nine months. Exactly, because
1: it's absolutely nine months before, you know, December 25th.
0: I always thought that was funny as a kid that we were celebrating Lent and, like, leading up to Jesus' death, but then all of a sudden there's a holy day to celebrate.
1: That's, yep,
0: you know. The birth, or announcing the birth. You
1: know, you have, for example, like in the summer, you have... Uh, the Nativity of John the Baptist. It's always on the 24th. Now, these dates were set for lots of different reasons. Sometimes politics, sometimes theology, sometimes history, sometimes just plain myth and story. You know, uh, even when you think about the birth of Jesus. You know, it it, it used to be in November, it was in June, it it was all over the place until finally they decided on, you know, December 25th. Who knows always why? After a while, it's just been there. And, and that's one of the marvelous things that, that, again, the Second Council promoted was to take a serious look at, at the history behind certain things and to recognize that, you know, there is a lot of history, but there's also a lot of myth and story and, and all of that in part of it, which is all part of God's plan, I believe, too. All Saints is November, always November 1st. You know, um, so th- those are the kinds of things that are always on a specific day. The key thing being is that it pulls out a particular belief, like all saints. We believe that there is what is called the communion of saints, you know, that when this life is over on this earth, there is something yet wonderful to happen. and. It is something in God's master plan that we are ultimately one, that when we pray, we don't just pray as individuals. We pray as a whole church, but we also have, you might say, the saints in heaven who pray with us. And and how is that all connected? Life, death, resurrection of Jesus. I mean, really, he's the connecting point, the linchpin that that keeps it all together. And so it's, it's really, actually, it's rather incredible when you think about it. Um, and I reminded people, I, was, I had an anointing cup yesterday, in fact, and I reminded the person that I anointed, saying, you know, it's not just the three of us here. We're saying that the whole church prays with and for you. And not only the church, but all of the communion of saints prays with and for you. You know, we have like, you know, hundreds of millions, you might say, over time that are holding you in prayer before God for healing, for strength, it can bring tremendous comfort to people. And sometimes we forget those things. These days and such are to help bring that out so that we don't forget. It's a constant reminder because every single year that we celebrate these moments, each year we're at a different point in our lives, mm-hmm. something Tragic could have happened. Something incredible could have happened. Uh, new possibilities uh, were, were hopefully a year older and, and a year smarter, a year wiser, that, that somehow these days then speak to us differently than what they did five years ago. Whatever. And, and that's, that's when you think of the liturgical year. It's, it's recognizing that you know um, a, a woman who is expecting to have a child looks at advent differently when you talk about expecting expectation anticipation we know it's going to happen we just don't know when and and what does that mean it means something different to a person after a, an event like that in their lives than maybe it did before and, and that's that's the grace that's that's part of you might say that's some of what we were missing in the past when you look at these these times and such and, and how we prepare them for them is that you also begin to look at, for example, like um, in, in let's just take ordinary time, because, again, that's a term. It doesn't mean nothing's happening, um, but it is a time of recognizing we're not always on the mountaintop, you know, the, in the transfiguration. You know, after what the apostles experienced on the mountain is that they had to come back to the valley, you know, and Jesus predicting, you know, you're going to pay a price for this. But these are the things that are going to carry you through is that the, the, the reminder is we have to take what the, these events that we celebrate, these seasons that we celebrate, penance, anticipation, joy, life, death, suffering. We have to take that and we have to live our day to day life. And it is remarkable when I think about Sunday readings or I think about weekday readings of how often when I look at those readings and and I I recognize, you know what, I'm dealing with that exact same thing. (laughs) You know, I know sometimes what exodus feels like. I know what enslavement may feel like. I know what those mountaintops might feel like, but I also know what the valleys might feel like. I know when there is great joy, but I also know when there is disappointment. And it's amazing how when you look at the readings that we have, they really do apply. We just need to take a little time and say, wow, that's speaking to me today. And, and that's the ordinary time in a way of taking it and recognizing it, the need to live it day in and day out every day. And when you start to look at the whole concept of liturgical year, it's history, it's a reminder, it's about the sacred, it's about the mundane, it's about the secular, it's about the ups, the downs, and, and the need we all have to be able to celebrate those in, in our own individual way, but in our own individual lives, and to be able to celebrate those things as a parish community also. The events that make us who we are as a parish. Um, whether it's, you know, celebrating baptisms and those kinds of things. One of the reasons that oftentimes I've done entire homilies, for example, with the Easter candle. Um, Easter candles are, are supposed to be tall, supposed to be very prominent. That's why, you know, sometimes when, when, when parishes don't buy new ones, and I know they can be expensive, it's you lose the sense, I believe, of that Kairos time. And I've, you know, and I've taken uh, like a yardstick and I'm saying, you know what, folks? is that when we bought this candle, and then I'll hold the yardstick where the top used to be. When we bought this candle, it was this much taller. And people are usually rather amazed because you just kind of get used to it burning down. Mm-hmm. And they're rather amazed. And I said, it marks baptisms. It marks weddings. It marks sacred days. It marks death. It marks, in so many ways, when you light that baptismal candle, sometimes we forget just how much has happened over that past liturgical year. It's true. You know, and and where have you been? You know, and part of this too is we think back a year from now or so, we will talk about COVID-19, you know, and what it was like as church. And we'll have an Easter candle saying, you know what, we weren't even here when that thing was lit this time. People might have been watching on the screen. But during all of this time, the number of people that have lived and died and married and buried and baptized and all of that is that it's it's about counting that time and realizing we're not at the same place that we were a year ago hmm. and and so much sacred and such has happened of of the mount, like I said the mountain times the birth times the anticipation, particip- anticipation times The the penitential times, the hope times, resurrection times, spirit-filled times, of all of that has happened. And it's the liturgical year that really helped us to mark that. We can easily mark days off on the calendar, but this is not about calendar stuff. This is about when God decides to have things happen. And we can easily forget until it's been brought to mind, oh yeah, last Advent I was last Lent I was, last Easter I was, or last, you know, First Sunday of Ordinary Time I was type of thing. It's amazing if we just take time to think about what has happened and how the liturgical year can help us to do that. So it's a wonderful concept when you think of, of how much went into this. I mean, there is just, I mean, volumes of, of what we could go through when it talks about this. But it's it's recognizing that, Though based a lot on the calendar, mm-hmm. I think it's it's good that it's not in the calendar, you know, as you know, as like January first we start here, but that we start with those God moments that are a part of our lives. Sure. And so liturgical year can make a big difference.
0: So, just some practical questions. You said there's three cycles for Sundays, and we get different readings, mm-hmm. right? Right. we focus on Matthew for year A.
1: Matthew, year A. Um,
0: year B.
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, John is always in special seasons, so John is always. John doesn't like, have his own. Yeah, so, does because what? John has kind of hits those special years. Probably
0: Matthew, Mark, Luke.
1: Uh, yes, is, yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke because uh, Luke we just did in last year in C. In C so and we're yeah, in a year a. and and so we have yeah Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Each of them have their own flavor, uh-huh. uh, and then you have, for example, in the um, uh, when you have the ordinary time. For the during the week readings, yeah. is that it really goes through the books. It goes, one year goes really through the key books of the Old Testament, and then the other one goes through key books of the New Testament. In uh, Easter time, it's Acts of the Apostles. Um, and so you, you have a lot of that. In, in, in Because it talks about, you know, you had this incredible experience of resurrection. What happens to the community? Mm-hmm. talks a lot about conversion. Uh, And so uh, you have just a number of, when you get to, for example, you get close to the end of the liturgical year toward the uh, last Sunday, Christ the King, Christ King of the Universe, you start hearing for the next week, couple weeks before, Start hearing from the book of Revelation. Yeah,
0: those were always the weeks I never wanted to come to church as a little kid. <laughs>
1: well, you know, this stuff can be a really scary time. And yeah. yet, when you understand the book of Revelation and and understand the principles behind it, is that you look at what do you say to a person, people, community that have lost everything? Family, loved ones, job, temple, uh, Everything that have lost, everything has been destroyed. You are now in a foreign place or in jail or whatever. What do you say to them? You go to Revelations. And and really, because Revelations, when you think about when it was written, it's an incredible Book of Hope. A lot of symbol and stuff that talks against the Roman Empire and such, but it was all in code. Um, But it was also, it was kind of a theme that runs through it. You know what? Things are really bad right now. They are. And I don't know how much they could get worse, how, how they could be even become worse, although they begin to paint a little bit of a picture of how they become worse. But the closing thing always is, one day we will all stand before God. And in that day, everything will be set right. Every injustice that you have ever experienced, God is going to set it right in the end because in the end with all of the terrible images that can be in the book of revelation in the end god wins evil does not and that's
0: quite hopeful it, it is <laughs> it,
1: it's tremendously and sometimes you know the movies have made us afraid of revelation you know because they they have all of these things of the horsemen and you know all mm-hmm. of these monsters that are you know chewing people up or whatever but The book of Revelation is a tremendous book of hope. What do you tell people that have lost everything? The message of Revelation. Hmm. It is bad and we recognize that. And it's terrible. It's painful. But in the end, God wins. Evil does not. And that is what we must trust. That is what we must believe in because that will give us the strength to endure. And in the end, God is going to set it right. And you know, when you think about that, when I think of what peoples have gone through over the centuries of injustice, prejudice, discrimination, beaten down, lands just wiped out or whatever, is that what do you, rather than giving up hope, which is possible, you know, rather than giving up hope, the Christian tradition and writers said, we're not going to give up hope because God promised. And God has never broken a promise. And therefore, we know, in the end, good will uh, survive.
0: Hmm. Maybe I'll have to come with new ears in November to hear this. Well, you know, and I would,
1: and I would suggest even to, uh, again, when you start looking at, at how we approach these books in the liturgical year, is is to sit down and read the entire book. And a lot of times we lose things. Because,
0: Bible or Revelation? Well, uh,
1: the Bible, but I don't <laughs> suggest reading it from beginning to end. Never, I never suggest that. But to take books, so for example, read the entire book of Acts, read the entire book of, let's say, 1st and 2nd Kings, read the entire book of Revelation. When When we read these in larger chunks, bigger sections, or let's say, you know, half or whatever, it brings sometimes a whole new picture. Sometimes we just pick out a piece, and that piece can seem pretty dire or, or less than hopeful, mm-hmm. but boy, when you put it in the big picture, it, it's like taking a mosaic and only centering on the red pieces. Well, the mosaic is probably more than red pieces. It's when you put the blues and the yellows and the greens with the red, the red takes on a completely different meaning. Mm-hmm. And I would say that when it comes to the Bible or books of the Bible, rather than simply looking at one little piece, sometimes we do look at the whole story. Completely different meaning.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So my other question is if you come to church for basically three years, seven days a week, do you get the whole Bible? Do you hear pretty the whole so. Bible? Pretty much so. Yes,
1: pretty much so you do. Every every single book is okay. is somehow connected. They may not be connected or used huge in huge amounts, let's say, but Um, Some of the minor prophets, for example, Habakkuk, Obadiah, um, you know, some of the minor prophets aren't used as much, but every single book of the Bible is used. And Judith, Ezra, you know, Susanna, all of these smaller books that, pardon? Esther. Esther, yes. When you look at the whole, again, over, it's like, again, the mosaic, Mm -hmm. is that when you look at the big picture of the liturgical year, the entire Bible is used and they'll pull out Specific pieces, things that that emphasize a particular point, but it, the whole thing is there. And virtually no other tradition, I don't think, can can claim that. Uh, it's it's amazing sometimes that people say, "Well, we have an Obadiah." Yeah, <laughs> we do. We have an Obadiah, or a Susanna, or Daniel. We or, may
0: know the stories, we just can't tell you where they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's it's that's the kind of thing that again, the liturgical year allows us just an expansive view of just how incredible the sacred word is, and how incredible God is, and how this is somehow t- to be applied every single day of our lives. The Liturgical Year helps us to do that.
0: Good things to think about. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, I think we'll end it there for today, and we will see you next